0: You are listening to the Pay Me In Equity podcast, where money and motivation meet. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Desarte Yarnway, and together we'll embark on a journey to explore ways that we can design your wealth on your terms through equity and more. So sit back, turn your speakers up, and enjoy the show. This podcast is brought to you by Burke Nell Financial Group, a fee-only independent wealth management firm serving clients who get paid in equity across the country. Through the right planning process, Birknell tasks itself with creating roadmaps to help their clients reach their financial goals. For more information, visit Birknell.com. You are listening to another episode of Pay Me In Equity. I'm your host, Desarte Yarnway, and today I'm joined by my new friend, Michael Kelly. Mike, how you doing?
1: Well, thanks, how you doing? Appreciate you having me on
0: no worries. Thanks for joining me. Um, I have to, I have to give another hat tip to Simon, Simon Trisna. What I say is Simon says, right? So like whatever Simon says, like you just go along with it. So I've made a new friend, um, from my, my friend Simon, and I'm honored to have you on the show with me today.
1: Yeah, no, we, uh, I talk with Simon all the time. So we always joke that he has quite the Rolodex. So (laughs) I definitely utilize him to kind of network out and, and make friends within the industry. So,
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thanks for joining me again. Um, I want to introduce my audience to you, right? I see that you're doing some amazing things. Obviously you specialize in equity compensation, something that I've been heavily focused on um, for the last at least three years. Right. And it it started for me personally, in a sense that I wanted to grow my own equity, not only monetarily, but just equity and other things like health, spirituality, um, philanthropy, things of that nature. Right. Um, the genesis of this show comes from my book in 2019, I believe, at this point, where when I wrote Pay Me an Equity and I wrote it based on what I define equity as. Right. So I, I coined the term personal equity, which considers all of the things that you feel makes a wealthy life for you. And I think that we just look at it from the perspective of like dollars, hard dollars. Like, what does this look like? Is my home value growing? That's equity for most people. And it kind of stops there. But as you know, as a financial planner, we're thinking about the holistic person, right? And trying to make sure that all the pieces that we put in this plan allows them to, one, have peace of mind, but two, allows them to build um, or, or design their wealth. So I wanted to start with you. Give our audience an introduction to who you are.
1: Yeah. um, Mike Kelly. So I uh, started banking about uh, I did 10 years in banking, uh, worked across multiple banks, um, doing treasury and capital management for the most part. Um, and then was going through the CFA track. Uh, once I obtained my charter, it was kind of a, a big inflection point of, do I want to stay in banking? Um, it was, I looked at moving over to commercial PM role or um, kind of going the treasurer route and trying to to be a corporate treasurer for for one of these massive banks um, and just didn't want to uh, kind of go into that holistic approach. It was I was just really unhappy with what I was doing. It was good money. Um, it was fairly easy job for the most part, but just unhappy. Um, yeah. It was just filling the bottom line of the bank. So transitioned out, um, found a role to be an equity analyst at an RIA um, and also build out a book of business at the same time. So it helped in the transition yeah. a little bit, uh, explained to my wife that I was going to be taking a pay cut, but not going down to zero. Um, mm-hmm. But after about a year and a half of doing that, just saw the flaws in the industry for the most part. Um, and a lot of the, what I went into this to do, uh, I was seeing the opposite being done. And so I hit another point where it was, what do I want to do? Do I want to try to go work for someone else or do I just take the leap of faith and start my own thing? That was kind of all, all, always the plan was around three or three to five years to do my own thing. Um, I didn't feel quite ready for it, but I decided, you know what, I need to just battle that imposter syndrome and dive right in. So Yeah. Uh open up my own shop, uh, switch back financial and again focus on equity compensation. I love that, Thanks. Appreciate yeah. it.
0: No worries. No worries. Um, didn't mean to cut you off, but you said something that really resonated with me, the big leap, right? You took the leap of faith and you decided to start your business. Now a lot of my clients, young professionals, just like you. Um, and I think we're in the age of like ownership and that's just not over, you know, an asset like pieces of your company stock or owning a house or a duplex or something like that, but it's just ownership of your life. Right, is what I'm saying. And a lot of people I, I surround myself with, they don't want anybody else to really write their story for them. And I think that is what we've seen growing up. I think that is what we're conditioned to do in society. Right. I just think that's the normal. And I think that a lot of these young people are rewriting the narrative and rewriting what normal is we're redefining that there's a new normal right now in every aspect really after the pandemic and just with our lives with our money right cryptocurrency we can go on and on about how things are changing what what made you want to take the big leap
1: yeah um i mean like i said for the past the last year of my banking career i was doing a job that I was able to get by, um, I'd have something due; it'd be in three weeks. And that last two days I was able to just kind of pull it together. I was working yeah. remotely a lot of the time. Um, and I was able to get it done very quickly. Well too, but it, so most people would be like, Oh, you have so much free time. And, whatnot, and I just, I hated it. it. It didn't feel empowering at all. So for that last year, I really tried to, put stock in other parts of my life, um, kind of focus on my health and my mental wellness and everything. Um, and we're put a ton of focus on that and still at the end of it, I was just unhappy. I mean, I look at it as oh, wow. no matter what, it's 40 hours a week. If that, if not more of your time and if it's miserable, my, no amount of money is really gonna make you feel better about that. And so, wow. Obviously, I I don't want to be totally um, kind of shy away from the fact that money can help in terms of happiness in a sense. Uh, It's a tool, but it can't be the only thing. And so for the longest time, it was, I want to be CFO of a bank. That was my number one thing was, if I'm going to be doing this, I want to be the best at it and I want to shoot for the moon. But uh, I think eventually it just came down to, no, that's not what I want. I want time with my family. I want to be able to be at my girls games as they get older things like that and money can't bring that and so yeah it's a balance and that's what i love about the industry is being able to work with other people who understand that as well most of my clients if they need something done i'll I'll do my best to get it done quickly but at the same time i'm living a life as well and so if they can't understand that i don't necessarily want to work with them
0: yeah that's interesting you say that because I've been way more selective now with my business than ever, because I think that I don't have, and I'm going to, I just interviewed Travis, Travis Um, Shout out to Travis, right? But he was saying that he no longer calls his clients' clients. He's calling them partners. And I think that's what it is. They have to understand that you are a human and that you're going to give the best um, data based financial advice from a human perspective. And if you work with people like that, they are clients, they're partners, they're part of your community, right? And that's exactly what I'm seeking to build through my practice. And I'm sure you are as well. Um, I wanted to talk about equity, man. I, I get so excited when it comes to the conversation about equity and there's so much information. To, to to go through. Now, I know that you help your, your clients in terms of equity compensation. The reason I love it is because it touches all aspects of financial planning. Um, so financial planning, investment management, tax planning, right? Um, estate planning in some ways, right? You're doing it all, which keeps you sharp and keeps you on point. Um, now, something just hit my brain as you were talking. Over concentration or like concentrating, concentrated equity positions, right? And diversification. I'm sure you see that a lot right? What are you telling your clients when you see millions of dollars in one position? How are you planning to help them diversify or help them use their goals with that infusion of cash?
1: Yeah. I mean, the big thing is what can you do? Um, a lot of times it's restricted, unfortunately, but my biggest thing that I like to tackle and why I love the equity comp piece is really, uh, through kind of all the CFA and doing all that, my favorite thing was behavioral finance and really understanding why we make certain decisions. So, just trying to make people aware of <laughs> it's not even just having your financial capital all in that one position; it's also yeah. your your human capital. So, the not to get technical, but the present value of all of your yeah. future earnings. So, um, can just you break kind that of, down for our audience? Yeah, absolutely. So if you're making uh, today uh, $100,000, you're it's making $100,000 from now until you retire. So again, a little technical, it's discounting it back to what is that worth in today's dollars, the total sum of all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's tied to, to the company you work at. So if you have equity compensation and your stock, your financial capital is in that company, if that company has, let's, let's go to the worst case scenario of Enron and you have an Enron, you've not only lost all of your savings that was in that stock, but now you've lost your job as well. And so you've lost all that human capital. You have to go find another job. Hopefully you can, but that's another setback. And so it's just, you're double dipping in that concentration. Um, So I, I love kind of saying, I feel like a lot of the equity comp people, it's, If I were to just give you a cash bonus today, are you putting that in your company stock or not? Most people will say no.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. And what do you find are the answers to that question? Obviously no, but like walk me through the process of how somebody's mind works when you put it that
1: way. Yeah, I think when you're given that stock, it's, there's, you battle all the emotions behind that stock. Mm -hmm. You're battling kind of the, trying to show loyalty to the company. You're trying to say, well, this is the company I work for. So I want to put, put my financial weight behind it as well, but you have to take care of yourself. I think the world's changing today where we've kind of had a shift from the old pension where companies took care of their employees uh, through retirement, through pensions and whatnot, to the shift to the 401k where now it's on you. You take that risk as the employee, Uh, And now I think with COVID and whatnot, we're starting to shift a little bit back towards you can work from anywhere and there's a little bit less loyalty by employees to say, well, I can go get more over there or they treat me better over there. And so you're starting to see less loyalty on the employee front and which I think is kind of a good pendulum swing back.
0: Yeah. It's crazy. I was um asked to quote an article called The Great Resignation. <laughs> and in the Great Resignation, they were saying like people are playing top dollar right now for talent. And especially now because talent can be found anywhere. You don't necessarily have to be in a city hub. You don't have to be in New York City, San Francisco, right? To get these high paying jobs. Like it's a it's competitive. Right now people want the best engineers and things of that nature i think one thing that is important to think about when we think about equity is just that negotiation process for um you know signing on to a company what it, what does that look like or have you had clients come to you and say hey i am thinking about going to google what should i be looking at in terms of equity
1: yeah well uh, it's funny you said my my wife is actually in conversation with uh going through that process and nice. so um, it, it's first pre IPO. So, um, it's kind of having the conversation of don't that equity compensation when it's pre IPO, especially is you can't necessarily count on it. Obviously the mm-hmm. earlier it is in the stage of that company seed money, basically that the probability, the risk you're taking on that equity comp is significant. So yeah. either you should, getting paid what you're going to get paid out on the the public market or and still get equity comp or it needs to be a significant enough chunk where, hey, if that pans out, that's a a real payday, um, a a big payday if it does get all the way down to an exit for that company. So Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of evaluating it that way. And as it gets further along, you can take a little bit more uh, or a little less equity, I guess, um, because there's more probability that it will actually pan out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's always hard to kind of guide a client or a partner on (laughs) what to do in those negotiation talks, right? Because on one end, I've seen the benefit of equity compensation. I've seen people work their behinds off, right? And the company has an exit, whether that's acquisition, right? Or they end up going public and it's life-changing for themselves, their family, right? Their kids. And, you know, personally, I want to lean to that. Like, hey, negotiate for some equity but the companies are smart too right and if you're negotiating up for equity typically you're taking a little less cash right so i'm always in a tough spot how do you try to go
1: about it yeah to be honest with you i try to not necessarily i try to tell clients not to take too much less um because the odds are you're you're not going to see that money, especially as again going back to employees changing jobs and whatnot. Unless yeah. you're you're completely on board with the mission, with the founder, with the management, all of those things that has to all align for the long term. Or else you get into a role and things can change drastically over that yeah. time period. That you may not make it through vesting. You may not make it through kind of uh, exit opportunities and see that payday. So it's almost don't count on that in a way um, that's kind of the, if you were to, I am a fan in some respects of goals based investing. So kind of yeah, having that that safety net of maintaining your current lifestyle, then the next step, you can get a little riskier and that's to improve your lifestyle. And then the aspirational kind of peak of that pyramid is uh, your dream stuff, the vacation homes, the nice car or whatever it may be generational wealth and that's the the riskier piece and that's where i put kind of the equity compensation for the most part is up in that top part when they're pre-ipo and everything
0: that's awesome i am i like to plan for clients lives looking at equity compensation as a bonus right like talk to me about what you're making now like talk to me about your goals talk to me about the dollars that we can count on first and then we can incorporate the equity that will vest or that should vest and the long, maybe, 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 maybe IPO in the future, right? And I think sometimes when um, our partners or people in our community get equity, they're just like, it's a sure win. And I think that's the environment that we're living in where it's like, Tesla did it, like this company did it, so we're definitely gonna do it. There are no definites in equity compensation.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I always laugh at that. That's the other behavioral aspect that I find just fascinating and interesting is there's the tech world where everyone thinks that they're the next unicorn, that they're yeah. going to be the next Tesla or Amazon or whatever it may be. And then then you go to the the world I, I came up through, the banking world. And if you go around and talk to employees there, they actually think that the companies are bad and that Oh, we're, we're no good as a stock or anything and they don't want to yeah. do the employee purchase plan and whatnot. And in reality, the tech stocks overvaluate themselves yeah. and they overestimate themselves and kind of that banking world underestimates the stock and what the market actually thinks. And it just shows mm-hmm. that it doesn't matter what we think as employees, when we're in the company, that the market's going to look at things very differently and only kind of the upper management at these companies really comprehend, mm-hmm what the market because they're the ones that are doing it for the market everyone else is working for kind of that top tier executive level and so that's where a lot of people i find don't really understand the business necessarily mm-hmm. of what that actually translates into in terms of the stock price and market
0: yeah i have a question for you you have a cfa and a cfp um in what ways do you have to use your cfp hat and in what ways do you have to use that cfa hat
1: so i, I mean I'll, I'll be totally honest with you both credentials i feel like mm-hmm. are credentials I, I hold them in highlight um just because i know the work that i put in behind them but in general uh, that doesn't mean anything because i think you can gain that knowledge through other paths as well so i always like to say that because i do feel sometimes people preach their credentials a little harder than not that they're not well earned but that that means more and i i don't believe that but um yeah. I in terms of the CFA, I find that gets in the weeds. Um, a lot of the the details of swaptions and yeah. the most complex stuff. It's like most people will never use those uh, unless you're dealing with an executive who's retired. Guess what? I'm not going to be doing hedging your concentrated position or True. Um, doing kind of short sales out the box and stuff like that. Um, but it's it's good to know that stuff if I ever do need to get in the weeds. But I always try to make things simple um, and try to keep it pretty fairly straightforward for clients. Um, the CFP I got after the fact uh, just because I knew I had holes. I, I had kind of the investment stuff down that they say like three miles deep or whatever it is and. and the CFP covers multiple areas, but only three feet deep. But I needed to get that to fill in tax planning and uh, education planning, just kind of all these different facets that were very lightly touched upon on the CFA, but I, I knew it was a gap. And for me, I that's how I get confidence. Um, I yeah. still have wild imposter syndrome when it comes to all of this. Don't we um, all? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how some people in the industry, though, talk so confidently. I, I wish I had that ability. It doesn't matter how much I read, I still kind of always get very nervous that I'm saying the wrong things or whatnot, just because I want to be able to answer everything.
0: Yeah, you know what? I'm trying to lean into saying, I don't know. Like, I don't know. And I don't think my no, questions have a have a problem with that, right? So, like, if they ask me a question in the past, I would want to rush to answer that question. And not often, but sometimes i would have to be like, well, I looked up, I looked it up and this is what I found. Right. And I just want to lead with, I don't know, let me go back and try to get that answer. And I think that that creates trust and honesty, right?
1: No, absolutely. I think that, yeah, you, you have to, because financial planning is, it. it's out there and whatnot, but it drives me nuts on Twitter or kind of a, just in general, the circles that financial planners in the industry are in it is we don't use, everything's very binary. Um, mm-hmm. But in reality, what we do is it comes down to it depends. That's yeah. my favorite thing to say is it depends. I can't tell you a definitive answer. I need to know your situation. I need to know your general beliefs, your emotions, everything that no. plays into it. And so I can give you the financial decision, but the once you add behavior in that, it, it's yours. So my goal as a planner is I, I go a little bit Deeper, I think, than some people do, just because I want I don't want to just give you the basic rule of thumb. I want to give you an outcome of if you do this refinance, what is that actual dollar amount that potentially you're looking in? What's a range? I can't give you a definitive because again, it's all assumption based, but I can give you a range of what it's looking like, and then you can decide if that makes sense for you to do this to refinance or not, to pay off a mortgage or not. I don't know the stress levels that you're up against. And so that's everyone's unique decision, but it's make it's empowering people to have confidence that the decision that they do make, they understand everything behind it.
0: No, for sure, for sure. What are some crazy things that you're seeing right now? Um, because I feel like we're in this like intersection of web 2.0 and 3.0 coming together. And the people that I work with are younger, on the younger side, most of them, right? So under 45. And they're looking at all these crazy things. Like I had one of the police chiefs that I work with was like, hey, do you know anything about cryptocurrency and these different coins, right? So our industry is not as traditional as it once used to be. Any any like thoughts about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like, well, first, I wish I had gotten in back in 2013 when a couple yeah. of my friends in the banking world started buying Bitcoin and whatnot. And mm-hmm. I was mid CFA, so I couldn't get over the fact of, well, this isn't really a currency, guys. And
0: if
1: yeah. the government allows this, then how do we control kind of? They lose their monetary policy and all of that. And so I that was my initial thing now i view it more as not a currency and it's just as an asset class um but i've tried to deep dive into it all i'm fascinated not just on the finance side of it but on the other aspects of what blockchain can bring and how that's going to really change our world from i mean there's so many things that people just talk about bitcoin as bitcoin or they talk ethereum and whatnot but it's really the blockchain and what that can can do, whether it's energy, um, whether it's uh, even things I was through the deep dive, it's e- even like immigrate uh, immigration that's happening right now and being able to kind of help people track as they come through for documentation purposes and for uh, kind of initial spending and whatnot. There, some of these uh, efforts have their own kind of um cryptocurrency that can help people get on their feet and and really get established in new countries and whatnot and so there's just so many other aspects across all different industries not just the financial industry that i think it's going to be massive um and that's all through web 3.0
0: yeah awesome awesome man what are you excited about i mean there's so many things happening right now i mean for your career And personally, what are you looking forward to here in 2022?
1: Yeah, it's just putting in place. I think the past year, was a lot of building structure and process. That's where I gained confidence is having that. Um, And so I've really spent a ton of time, sometimes a little too much time, according to kind of my mastermind group. But um, Mm -hmm. it's just getting out there now. And, And I think I originally, when I started, it was, I viewed everything as sales. Um, trying to go get clients was selling, and I I think through going through through kind of networks uh, and talking with people who have similar values and goals around the industry, it's no, it's client, it's client acquisition, it's uh, client development, um, mm-hmm. it's building trust and giving giving out there first, education wise to people and hoping that that comes back. Um, And and I'm a believer in that. I I didn't make this transition for money. Um, I did this because I wanted to help people. And Mm -hmm. I think that there's a small group within the industry that are really focused on that. And that's where I have a ton of faith around it, that there's good people out there in the industry that we can do a lot um, to help all sorts of people and not just the rich people or not just select individuals. It's kind of helping a lot of people.
0: Yeah, man, you're making a good impact, especially in the equity compensation space. And I I value, you know, learning from people like you um, collaborating with people like you. Right. Because I I said it before we kind of press record. I said it's all about collaboration over competition. Right. And I think when you when you work like that with that, like intention, you get farther together. Right. So feel free to lean on me for anything. Mike, I I appreciate you, man. Where can people follow along if they want to learn more about your process? If they just want to follow along with what you're building, how can they, how can they reach out and follow you?
1: Yeah. um, My website is uh, switchbackfinancial.com and um, I'm on kind of Instagram, Twitter, and uh, my Twitter is the underscore Mike Kelly. Um, That's kind of a little bit more personality wise, uh, but yeah.
0: I love it. I love it. Thanks, Mike, for joining me on Pay Me in Equity. And thank you all for listening. You know where to find us, burknell.com, at the Sarte Yarmor on Twitter. Appreciate you. Until next time, onward to greatness. The Burknell Client Community is an inclusive community of ambitious individuals, families, and business owners who are impacting the world in their own special way. If you're interested in learning more, visit burknell.com to schedule your consultation. Be sure to follow me at the Sarte Yarnway on LinkedIn and Twitter for updates on this podcast. Until next time, onward to greatness.